0: Anyway, we're in a series, um, amazing stories. Jesus, when he was here on earth, he uh, liked to teach, and he taught a lot of different ways, sermons and question-answer times and uh, just informal life-happening type stuff, but one of the ways, he—he probably his favorite way that he liked to teach was through stories. He told 45 plus of these stories, and we're we're taking one of them a week, we're not going to go through all 45, Uh, but in each of these stories, he has a specific principle that he's teaching. Here's the deal. If we can understand why he decided to tell this story, it wasn't for entertainment purposes. If we can get this down, it can, it will change us. And so what we want to look at is, so one of this is uh, more famous stories, I suppose, this morning. Before we do, let me tell you a story. Okay? Once upon a time, there was a man named Harvey. Now, Harvey was a very ambitious guy. Uh, from the time he was a little, little boy. And he knew he needed to go to the right schools. And so he dug himself some debt to get there. And Harvey knew he had to have the right grades from the right schools. And so he did everything he could most of it ethical, to get those grades. And and, and when he graduated, his his resume looked fine as far as his educational standing and his extracurricular stuff. And it worked for him because right out of the gate, he started at a very substantial, financially soaring corporation. Now, Now, Harvey was a stereotypical business sort of guy. You know, very professional. He dressed to the nines on a regular basis. If you knew him, you would say, tangentially, you would say, this man really cares for his employees. But those who knew Harvey best knew that this guy was really a shark. And you really had to be careful around Harvey. Now, his, his employee, or employers didn't necessarily see his character flaws. But what they did see is his work ethic. They saw his leadership. They saw his productivity. Because Harvey would never allow there to be a loss in the bottom line, no matter what. And so, you can imagine, promotion after promotion after promotion. Sooner or later, Harvey found himself in the CFO's seat. The youngest chief financial officer this corporation had ever seen. Now, now uh, Harvey was all about the, the bottom line for his company, but maybe more so he was about the bottom line for his self. He, he developed a taste for the finer things in life. He kind of developed a, a kingly kind of lifestyle. And so, in time, he began to borrow from the the corporation just a little bit at first in order to help him with some of his high-roller gambling uh, because he had some very significant, sure deal, we know how that works, right, stock uh, ventures or some real estate ventures. And so he would borrow and borrow and and borrow. Well, once when uh, Harvey and his family were away for a month cruise in the Mediterranean, the uh, company decided to do an internal audit And so when he got back, he noticed the first day back, there was an emergency board meeting, and and he was supposed to be there, and so he shows up, and as he walks into the board meeting, it's kind of quiet and somber, and people are looking down, and what's going on? Well, the CEO sits him down and then says, you know, while you were gone, Harvey, we did an internal audit, and I want to read to you the synopsis of that audit. And as he read through, words like mismanagement turned into words like embezzlement. And, And when it was done... There was 150 million dollars missing. And Harvey, well, all eyes were on him. Well, as the, the, the letter came down, the synopsis came down, the executive, uh, chief executive officer staring him down. All the officers are staring him down. It was his turn to talk, but he couldn't talk. His mouth was dry, his head was spinning. And he knew the ramifications of this. Not just humiliation, not just being fired, not, not just uh, losing income. But uh, he was looking at not just this destruction of his fragile family, but some serious prison time. And when he got out, he probably would not be able to touch the size of Bill that he would be handed. And so Harvey begins to cry. And then his cries turn to sobs. And believe it or not, he falls down on his knees in front of of the, the, the CEO. And he starts begging for mercy, saying things like, oh, I will repay everything, just give me a little more time. Like, where is he going to get $150 million? You give him a little more time, it's not going to happen. No, but he kept going that route. And all the board members knew that the next words out of the CEO's mouth would be, get out and get a lawyer. At least that's what they should have been. But the CEO stood up. And you could see his, his countenance start to change. And his heart softened and he went to Harvey and he picked Harvey up and he said, Harvey, you have betrayed my trust and the trust of every one of these men and women around the table and our shareholders and our employees and our customers and you deserve the full extent of the law. Quiet for just a moment. And then he went on he said, but I hear you and I want you to know that I will forgive you I will pay back personally what you owe. It's all over. Get back to work. Well, Harvey goes back to his office, and his head is spinning of what just happened. I can't believe this. And he starts thumbing through this internal audit that they handed to him. And he notices that one of his managers, one of his VPs, posted a $5,000 loss in payroll for the last two periods. And nobody did that. One period, especially two. That's the height of incompetency. So he calls this guy in. He says, now, explain to me this loss. And the man tried to. He had charts and reasoned. And there were some issues that he had to make adjustments for. But don't worry, because next quarter it was going to be much better. And we were going to actually post some savings. And, and Harvey would hear none of it. And he called for the security. And he said, he said, go clean out your office because you're done. And you need to know that any loss is going to come out of anything we, we owe you. And anything that's left, you better make sure you have a decent lawyer. Also, you need to know that I know some very important people in this industry. And you are done. You are never going to get a job in this again. Well, word traveled to the CEO. Later on, he calls Harvey back up into his office. and As Harvey walks in, there's two security guards and two police officers flanking the CEO. Who looks at Harvey and says... I can't believe what I'm hearing. I forgave you such a great amount. Shouldn't you have forgiven those that have hurt you? Now, this is real similar to a story that Jesus told. Jesus told the story for a specific reason. And again, our job, what we want to figure out this morning is what was the purpose of the story, other than just being a nice what, what was what was the big thing that Christ was trying to say? Because again, if we can get that, and I can I can promise you, this is a biggie. And if you can get this, life will be so much radically different than if you don't. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus tells his version. Matthew chapter 18. And here's the reason why he told this message. begin verse 21. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered him, I tell you not seven times, but seventy seven times, or seventy times seven. Same translation. You need to know, the rabbis at this time taught that you could forgive three times. I mean, you could forgive three times. You could not forgive beyond this. And they had their... Old Testament law, reasons for this. I'm not going to get into that. But they believed only three times could you forgive. And so Peter's thinking, I'm going to double what the rabbis are saying, add one for good measure. Jesus is probably going to be thinking, he's probably going to rebuke me for my incredible generosity and grace and, and just really think that I'm somebody special. And Jesus comes at him, but not the way he's thinking. Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but seventy-seven. Or seven, seventy times Seven. And Jesus is not saying, "Well, you need to know, Peter, on the the seventy first time or the four hundred ninety first time, it's seventy eighth time, four hundred ninety first time, it's okay. You don't have to forgive him anymore." It's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, "You should always be forgiven." He's saying, "Peter, Peter, Peter, Peter." That's like asking me, "How many times should I love my spouse?" You love your, You just you always love your spouse. You just, you just you're just a loving person. You always love. You're a forgiving person. You always forgive. You can't put a number on this. And then Jesus says, "Let me tell you a story." And Jesus goes into this story, verse twenty-three. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. Remember, we had mentioned that the main characters in the parables represent somebody. So the king represents guess who? Kings in most of the masters in most of Jesus' stories represents himself. Not always, but most of the time. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold and repay the debt. Now, a couple weeks ago, remember we talked about a single talent. What a talent was, is a talent was a measurement, uh, 80 pounds. This guy is in hoc, 10,000 talents. A One talent equaled 6,000 denarii, for I know that kept you up at night, not, not knowing how much it was, 6,000 denarii. One denarii is a day's wage, so one talent is about 20 years worth of, of your wages for one talent. This guy had 10,000, he was in debt, 10,000 talents. So 20 years worth of wages for 10,000 people. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of loot. Just so you, you know, Solomon received, by all of his revenue, his taxes and stuff he got annually, 650 talents. That was it. This guy's in debt, 10,000. Uh, Rome, when they collected taxes from Palestine, time of Jesus, they received 900 talents out of all of Palestine annually. This guy's in debt, 10,000. According to 2 Chronicles, the gold that was collected for the temple of God, that was Solomon built into the temple... 8,000 talents. This guy's in hot. 10,000 talents. That's a lot of moolah. If you think about this, gold is $1,185 an ounce today. Um, 16 ounces in a pound. So you got what about $20,000 uh, for a pound of, of gold? Uh, a talent is 80 pounds. So you've got about $1.5 million for a talent. One talent, 10,000 talents. You got about $15 billion Dollars? Now, now, in our day of national debt and tri- trillions and stuff, this is not a big deal. Oh, yeah, a billion, trillion, what's the matter? But in their time, these guys, this is an astronomical figure. This is like all the money in the world. And so they're going, ah, we can't imagine. How did this guy get in debt like that? Well, it doesn't tell us probably an embezzlement kind of thing. But it doesn't go into detail. But he's in trouble. He's got a lot. And so what he does is he asks for, you know, please forgive me. Uh, and there's... <laughs> It's kind of a strange way. He says, I'm going to sell you and your wife and your children, and we're going to let you. Well, what they would do is they would sell them into slavery and not just take the money and put that towards the debt. But that's what slavery was back then. They were working off the debt. And they, the whole family would be working the rest of their life and still not come near this, obviously. But then in verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. Of course, I don't know how he's going to get the money. But the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Now, now, keep in mind the reason why this story was given. Forgiveness. How many times should I forgive? What's forgiveness all, all about? Jesus could have made this story any way he wanted to. It's a fictitious story. Made it any way he wanted to. But he couches this thing in, in uh, accounting terms. I think this is a good... Notice what the master, when he forgives, what he doesn't do. He doesn't berate this guy, right? He doesn't just verbally let the whips and scorpions come against this guy. He's going to forgive the thing in time, but he's going to rip him apart you know, verbally before. He doesn't do that. doesn't put the guy on a payment plan. doesn't give this guy probation. I'll let you do this time, but next time. You get this close and you dead, man. I'm going to let you... He doesn't, doesn't do that. He doesn't enslave the guy, he doesn't hold this over the guy's head as, as manipulation, reminding this guy on a regular basis, the kind of things that we do. Reminds these guys on a regular basis how much he really owes them. He doesn't do that. It's forgiven. It's, 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 it's done. Uh, forgiveness. It's not words, right? Uh, Johnny, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. It's not words. It's not a feeling. Now, we don't have this one on the screen, but at the end of this, Jesus is talking in verse 35 of 18. He says, This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, in the Western world, we think the heart is the seat of emotions. Here, emotions are crammed in there, but mostly it's the seat of volition. This This is real important because... What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is not a feeling and it's not words. It's a choice. We might say, I can't forgive. No, no, no. It's a choice. You can forgive. Is there lots of pain? Jesus is not belittling the pain. Yeah, yeah, he knows. But forgiveness is a choice. You can forgive. It's a choice to erase the other person's debt. Don't you love the terminology? Again, Jesus builds this thing in an accounting sort of scenario, perhaps because understanding forgiveness is easily easiestly, easiestly understood in an accounting uh, principle. Uh, it is Forgiveness is closing the account. It's erasing the debt. And if you think about this, it makes sense. People who've heard us in the past... They've hurt us. If you really push the analogy, it's they've stole something from us. They've taken something from us. Um, he stole my childhood. Uh, he was, he, he, I could have had a happy childhood if he would have loved me more than the bottle. She promised that we were going to grow old together, that we would raise our family together. What happened to that? You know, He stole my retirement. They took my reputation. On and on and on. The, the things where people have hurt us They've stolen something from us. And so what we have in our, our heart is we have the books are open. The account is open. We have their name. We have maybe how much they owe us. And by golly, we're going to keep the books open because they owe us. And we can't close the book. Though there's, the, there's, a, the, there's a debt that hasn't been paid. And it's not, I'm not going to close the books until that debt is paid. But, but Jesus is saying that forgiveness is... Closing the books. Forgiveness. Was erasing the debt. You would think, well, well, what is this guy's response now? He's just had this major debt uh, erased, forgiven. Verse. 28, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, which is not a small sum, by the way. One denarii was a day's wage, so 100 denarii, roughly one-third of a year's wages, was this, $10,000? It's not a small debt you're just going to blink at, $10,000, and plus this guy's already in all kinds of hockey, he's in trouble, he needs his money. So what's he do? He might, does he think, well, how much was I just forgiven? No, he doesn't think that. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Now his fellow servant fell at his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Now, these are the exact same words he used earlier. And you think this would be like a deja vu thing for him. I've heard that before someplace. Oh, wow. But he does not have that. Response in verse 30, he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Verse 32, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Then Jesus says this, This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. That's, that's a, one of the hard sayings of Jesus If you didn't know What's it mean? Does it, does it mean what it sounds like? It means here that I can be a believer I can be a Christian And then I can lose it If I don't forgive someone And then maybe I gain it again If I, if I do finally forgive them And then maybe I, I can't forgive person C And so I lose it again But I forgive person D Maybe worse than that Is I forgive person A, B, C, D e, But then, but then I'm getting ready to die and person Z does something to me and I don't forgive Z. Have I lost everything? Is my salvation based on whether I I can forgive or not? Now, it it might not be... Check out the terminology. The words are so powerful, aren't they? If I can forgive or not? Well, if forgiveness is a choice and not a, a feeling, if you choose to or not, maybe. Now, we see this also in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? You know the word's prayer. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then... Jesus decides he's going to go back to Lord's Prayer. Give us old Lord's Prayer. There's one line though that he really needs to underline. He really needs to emphasize, because he's afraid that his, his apostle people's disciples are not understanding this, so he needs to drive this one home. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly father will not forgive your sins. Now just look at this for a moment. You notice the top line, actually, it's verse 12. Forgive us our debts. It's all about forgiveness, right? Then the very bottom section, for if you forgive, it's all about forgiveness, right? It's verse 14. Stuck right between those two is verse 13. Bible interpreters will tell you that you need to, to interpret verse 13 in light of 12 and 14 because they're sandwiched together on purpose. It's not an accident. Is it possible that the temptation that we could easily fall into, it's a temptation of, not forgiving, and is it possible that when we fall into that temptation of not forgiving, health somehow is involved? I think it's very, very uh, possible. And so, so what are, what are they saying with all this? Are they saying that again? I gain my salvation or lose my salvation based on on whether I can forgive? Long story, short story on that one is no, no. This is this is a, follow me for just a second. A doctrine is not considered biblical unless it takes into account all of what Scripture says. So it's scary when someone finds one verse and says, therefore, one verse, therefore. You hear a preacher on the radio, you read someone in a book, you hear a preacher on Sunday morning, and they say, because of this verse, therefore, you need to be asking in the back of your head, I wonder what else Scripture says about this. Our salvation, we're not going to get too far into this, but for, by grace are we saved through faith and that not of, of ourselves. There is an unpardonable sin. It's not a lack of forgiveness. Uh, it goes, our, our salvation is secured by Christ alone, not by my, by my works. Okay, then what does this mean? Why is this such a big thing to Jesus? Now listen, we cannot take the teeth out of this thing and say, well, good, my salvation is secured, it's relevant. Okay, let's, let's move on to the next point. Jesus is pushing this big time. This is what he's he's saying with this. That the surest sign that you are a forgiven person is that you are a forgiving person. The surest sign that you are a forgiven person is that you are a forgiving person. And this makes all all the sense in the world. So, why is this such a big thing to Jesus? Because it's who he is. Uh, If you take some of my DNA and you take my father's DNA, you know, there's going to be a match. If you take God the Father's DNA, he's got forgiveness stamped on every single chromosome. If you take one of his sons or daughters, there needs to be a match. Because it's just who he is. It's what he's about. It's what the whole gospel is. It's what the Bible's about. We know this is not just a rule book that just tells us good things we're supposed to be doing. This tells us the gospel, how we can do so many good things, and it's going to be irrelevant unless Jesus forgives us. And he can't just forgive us, point blank. He had to die for us. The whole Bible's about forgiveness. It's what God does. And because of that, just, just, first, first Peter 4 he says, above all, let love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. If you truly love, you will, you will be forgiving. That's all there is to it. First Corinthians 13. Says, it does not, that's love. It does love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. There's no open account for someone who's loving. It's just not there. It's gone. And that's why he says in John 13. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, he's not saying that just so we can like have a badge and let people the, who aren't believers know, oh, they must be believers because they love. That's not what he's saying. It's because as we love to the point where we're forgiving others, we reflect him. We reflect him most when we forgive. And when the people in the world see us forgiving, they say, well their minds are turned towards forgiveness and maybe how much they need it. Jesus is so encouraged, so so encouraged, so hot about this because it is the key way that we reflect to the world that there is, is a God. There is such a thing as forgiveness. Also, another reason. Forgiveness is a matter of obedience. Colossians 3.13. It says, Bear with one another and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Simple verse, but just notice this. Forgiveness is not an option. Forgiveness is a command. And when I choose, remember it's not a feeling, not I can't forgive, I choose not to forgive. When I I don't forgive, I am sinning against God. So whatever someone else did to me, when I choose to not forgive, I am sinning. I'm doing that same thing against God. It's it's a command. Forgiveness also allows us to avoid, avoid a satanic trap. I think that's what we were talking about earlier, but let me give you a different text. 2 Corinthians 2, Paul's talking. He says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. And get this last line. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. One of Satan's schemes, according to Paul, right here. What I think was being alluded to in the Lord's Prayer. Is, is to tempt us, to cause us, to help us not to forgive. And he lets us know that this, you can, it's not just something you can live with. You've been duped. You are, you are being trapped by Satan in this regard. And you need to know, we, we do not have the intelligence level to uh, take Satan on. We understand his schemes. We're a little bit better strategists strategist than he is. We can handle him. We can't. The only reason we know this stuff is from, from Scripture. Uh, Forgiveness also allows us to um, avoid the torturers. This is interesting. Verses 34-35. In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. What does it mean to be tortured? This sounds kind of intense, doesn't it? And be careful that we... Protestant solid Bible church people, we're going to jump right away to, well, that's hell one day. Well, maybe it is, but I, I, given the nature of parables, it's not so easy always to land there. I think this I think anybody who chooses to not forgive has chosen to have the torturers part of their life. Bitterness is part of their life. It may not be there all the time, but when they start thinking, I would say a little bit further, I would say that if you have books open and you've chosen to not forgive, you know what, you will carry that into every single relationship you have in this world. This will be a part of your life, you cannot dissect yourself so, so easily, it is, you are holistic, it is a part of who you are and that will result in a, uh, not. you will not have life which you could have had in life. And here's the goofy thing. They did something to you, I don't know how long back, whatever. Who knows what their motivation, all those things. But either way, they are still doing it to you today by keeping the books open. I still allow this person to have power and control over my life and ruin my life today Was something they did who knows how long ago. That's why Jesus says, you got to forgive. You just have to let it go. You have to let it go. You say, well, how do we do that? First thing I think we need to do is we need to commit closing the account. And I, I, I say it that way because I think sometimes we don't want to forgive. We, we don't want to let it go. It's been our identity for a while. We just, we just don't want to, to, to let that go. We have to commit. Second of all, here's where you go. You say, but I, I can't, I can't. Well, that's why number two, you have to pray and ask God to help you for the ability to be able to forgive. Now, the reason why we don't is, again, if you... I've got this, This the accounts are open. There's the debt listed, and it's pretty substantial. And we think that if we close the books, we're letting this person off the hook. They're getting away with all kinds of stuff. They hurt us so greatly, we can't let them off the hook so easily. There has to be payment. Someone has to exact payment. And I think I'm going to be the one that does it, even though they might have already passed away. They might be living on the other side of the world. I don't know who they are, where they are. But I think somehow, as long as I have the books open, I can somehow make them pay. Uh, God talks about this Romans 12, verse 19. He says, don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, this is God talking, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And God can repay better than we can. God has, has got torturers working for him that you and I don't have. God is not a God of, we think, well, he's just going to let everybody off the hook. God's not going to let everybody off the hook. God knows justice. God is committed to it in a much greater way than you and I are. I would never have sent my son to die. I love my, my, my boy. I wouldn't have sent him to die. God loves his boy. He loves us as well. And sent him to die for us, God, because you have to. You can't just gloss over sin. There has to be a payment for sin. Jesus died in our in our stead. God is a God we can trust with justice. We kind of turn the books over, close the books, close the account, kind of turn it over to the divine collection agency. You know, uh, God, you're going to have to deal with this. Okay, my heart, books are closed, accounts erased, it's done. But Lord, you, it's yours. You take it. and you can trust Him. You know, you can trust Him. You say, well, you know, after you close the account, are you suddenly feeling wonderful and everything's fine, and next time you see the person, everything's happy? Well, probably not. Probably not. So, for fourth step. Oh, well, let me get that third step. That's a good one, isn't it? Um, write a letter. I've talked to a handful of different uh, counselors. Uh, they said, sometimes the pain is so deep. What we need to do is we need to write a letter of account closure. This is... This is not a letter you're writing to anybody but God. So you're not going to mail this letter. Don't mail this letter. This is a letter you're writing to God. But what you need to do is you need to write out how this person really hurt you. You know, you cannot really forgive the debt if you don't know exactly how much the debt is. So you write out what this person did. You write out what, what, how, how it made you feel, what it cost you. You write it out. And then after you get the whole thing done, as best as you can, probably different layers, you might be forgetting something, but generally speaking, I got this thing down. Then you have to include this last few lines. You have to, because if you don't, it's just going to be bitterness. It's just going to put fuel on the fire. You have to include these last few lines. And if you need these, I'll, I'll just email me. I'll send them on over to you. It says, however, remember, you're writing to God. I recognize that I have hurt you deeply. Uh, Often I forget that. You love me and I have spurned you, your word, and your will. And if you want to, you could start going down a list of how much you've hurt God. In your books, I owed you a great deal. You would have been just to give me what I deserved. Instead, you gave me grace. You sent your son to become my sin and die in my place. You forgave me completely. Hence, I choose to forgive God so-and-so, for all they have done to me from this day forth, I've erased their debt, am closing the account and turning it over to you. Now, after you do that, and you bring the letter before God, you pray it through, you're going to have to probably pray that through multiple times, multiple days. Uh, What do you do? How do you respond? Well, the fourth thing, you do, is you respond to that person, if they're, you see them, they're around, and if not in your mind, as you're thinking about them, in a uh, loving way, in a forgiving way. Luke 6, this is a great verse. Jesus says, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Now look at the word, did he say, feel good about those who mistreated you? Do you say, I want you to feel happy about those who've hurt you? No, no, he knows it doesn't work that way. All these things are actions. Love is an action. Love your enemies. Do good. It's an action. It has nothing to do with your feelings to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And as you, you do in time, perhaps the emotions will get there. Maybe not in this world this is this is the deal none of us none of us are going to get this down perfectly but we have to be walking towards forgiveness we can't just be settled in unforgiveness and locked in and say i'm not going to i'm not gonna we've got to try we have got to be pursuing we gotta say god would you help me to we have to to do what we need to do walking towards forgiveness and you know what if you do you you take seriously the, the application of god's word like that Jesus can do some powerful things in our lives. He can, he can work with that. But when we settle in, we lock in, it's not going to happen. There was an uh, orphan boy who wanted more than anything else to have a family. Well, six days before his, his eighth uh, birthday... A family was inquiring about him. They filled out all the paperwork and he went home to be with his new family. His, his dreams were realized. He was getting a family. And so he uh, grabbed all of his belongings, uh, just the clothes he had, pretty worn out clothes, worn out shoes. He's got one little animal, stuffed animal thing that's pretty worn out. He goes home. And, and the, the the new parents just love him to death and so they want this big celebration. They have a welcome to the family party and they invite all the kids from the neighborhood and they introduce him. They take his old clothes and they throw them away and they get him new clothes and they buy him a bike and some neat toys and, and he's feeling like he's part of this family. Now, the dad did something kind of strange. The dad took his old shoes, worn out shoes, and put them on the mantle and he wasn't sure why, but one day he found out because one day he just did something stupid, he, he blew it, And the dad grabbed him and marched down to that mantle and pulled the shoes off the mantle and stuck them under his nose and said, do "You see these? Do you remember what you were and where you were at and what your hope was and what your future was until we stepped in? Don't you ever do this again?" Kind of thing. And that's a situation that would be repeated over and over again. And that is not forgiveness, because forgiveness throws the shoes away as well. Well, Some of us have forgiven mostly. But we, it's okay to remind the person once in a while of how much they hurt us, of what they owe us, of what they've done, of the damage they've caused, of what they're about. That's not, that's not forgiveness. Those, those books are not closed. The, the debt has not been erased. So let me ask you, right now, is there someone's name that came to mind as we talked? Is there some account that's open in your heart, that's been open maybe a long, long time, that needs to be shut, it needs to be closed. Obedience needs to be followed. You need to say, Lord, you're gonna to have to help me. I don't know how I'm gonna do this, but I, I will walk towards forgiveness. I want to be obedient. And Jesus is saying, When we're conscious of how much we have been forgiven, how can we not? He who's been forgiven much forgives much. The sure sign that you're forgiven. It's that you're a forgiving person. And by that, we tell the world that there is a God that he wants to forgive completely.